My name is Talia Smith, and you're listening to Season 2 of Once Upon a Time, a Storytelling Podcast. This season, my friends and I will be telling stories that will leave you spooked, uneasy, or even on the edge. Join us for Once Upon a Time, a Storytelling Podcast, Season 2. Hey guys, before we get started with our story today, I wanted to give a shout out to HistoryPods.com. HistoryPods.com is a real-time feed of new releases from indie history podcasts, including this one, allowing history podcasts and history fans to discover each other. You can follow them on Twitter at Pods of History, and if you can, please donate to their Patreon. You can find them at Patreon.com slash HistoryPods. They do great work, and they're a wonderful resource for all things history podcasts. Okay, let's go on with the show. This episode was recorded in Maine and Maryland, and it reminds us of the spirits of Christmas. Enjoy! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today is our Christmas special, holiday special, and we have a very special guest today. We have Allison O'Brien. Does that name and voice sound familiar? Well, it might. Allison was actually our very first guest ever on Once Upon a Time, a storytelling podcast. So it is an honor to have her here today. She is a 23-year-old theater artist and still my favorite person. As I should be. As you as you always are. Which is what's pretty funny about this is when we were recording the first episode. It was in very different circumstances. Oh, very different. It was in person. It was in person. We were didn't know how to record a podcast. We were sitting in your room. <laughs> intern housing. Oh, <laughs> in, in, in intern housing. And we're just trying to make it work. So now we're both living at home and making it work over the internet. So this is going to be fun. What a difference a year makes. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> oh, we started right. off on a sad note. <laughs> oh, oh, just you wait, listeners. Just you wait. All right. Why don't you tell us three fun facts about the story you will be telling us today? Okay. So this story, like all great stories, has a great love story aspect to it. It also has a beautiful redemption arc that only takes place in the last five minutes. And then it's also kind of the first battle between Halloween and Christmas that we see nowadays. And I think it really staked a claim. And it's definitely Christmas's first line of attack, in my opinion. All right. And without further ado, what is the story we'll be sharing today? Today, we'll be sharing the story of being a ghost story of Christmas, probably more commonly known as A Christmas Carol. <gasps> da, da, da. A super unknown story. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah, not once. <laughs> never seen it before. Yeah. Never had to act in it before. But I think it's now is the right time to warn the listeners that this particular telling that we're going to be focusing on is the superior version of the story is really the only one that I think 
tells the story in the most true way, and that is the Muppets version of the movie. Yes. People have their picks, people have their ideas of what this story should be, but if it's not the Muppet version of the story, uh, they should know that they're wrong right off the bat. Absolutely correct, 100%. The Muppets Christmas Carol is the superior Christmas Carol for so many reasons. And we're going to be getting into that. We're going to be really analyzing that version a little bit later on um, in the episode. But we're going to start off by really introducing A Christmas Carol and kind of telling the story for those who have forgotten it. So why don't you introduce A Christmas Carol for us, Allison? Yeah, so first we're getting into the right mind palace space yes set the scene set the scene here's the scene regardless of what holiday you celebrate everyone get on the christmas boat real quick yeah so you got your fuzzy socks on the fireplace is going it's a time where family and friends can be around you it's completely safe it's not problematic i promise Uh, you're (laughs) sipping hot chocolate there are stockings hung by the fireplace with care um and the little ones have to get to bed so, like, what are you, how are you going to get them to bed? Uh, you've told them about Rudolph. The elf on the shelf is gone, thank goodness. <laughs> so, the best way to get a little one to go to bed the night before Christmas, uh, tell them a scary ghost story. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Absolutely. So, nothing, nothing helps a kid go to bed the night before Christmas than harrowing tales of ghosts. Yeah, you really want to frighten them with the thoughts of the future right before uh, Christmas. It's true. So, once upon a time, the Marleys were dead to begin with. (laughs) So you have this rich, old, cranky man, Ebenezer Scrooge, Bah Humbum, Mr. Grump, the Grinch wishes they could be this bitter. That is so true. So Scrooge is just this rich old man. He runs... Like a loan shark type thing, banker, something like that. When I think of Mr. Scrooge, and I'm going to be a little sacrilege for a minute. I know we were talking a lot about the Muppets Christmas Carol, but when I see Scrooge, I see Scrooge McDuck. It's a very accurate portrayal. Yeah, that's fair. And if you're not familiar with Scrooge McDuck, he his first appearance was in Christmas on Bear Mountain, but he was... <laughs> more famously known for his appearance in the critically acclaimed television series DuckTales. Yeah. They also just did a reboot of it, so you can definitely watch it now. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, and I would, I would bet money uh, that I don't have that the name is not a mistake. It's definitely a reference to this old man. Oh, it absolutely is. Scrooge McDuck is absolutely a harken back a literary reference to A Christmas Carol. And I think that just further shows the influence that Charles Dickens has on our popular culture. He (laughs) didn't really just take his... Not that you made jokes that we're taking it seriously. (laughs) Sorry. You just used the word harken. I know. So we have this angry old man. Um, and it's the day before Christmas, a Christmas Eve, if you would. 
<laughs> you know, that lesser known holiday, Christmas Eve. Yeah. Uh, he won't give his employees extra coal for the fire because it costs money. He denied, like, uh, as you do, you know, you have people go- coming around for charities and being like, can you give money? And like, he could, he chooses not to. Because Would you say he's, he's a, a bit of a Scrooge? <laughs> Which came first, the Scrooge or the Scrooge? Um, he's, he's the, has the bar humbug spirit when it just says. <laughs> I think, I don't know, I feel like he can be redeemed. I think. Oh, do you? Yeah. Well, let's, let's um, unpack that. Let's unpack that a little later on. <laughs> So essentially, we just meet this guy, and he's the worst. He's the worst boss you could have. And his employees are like, can we have Christmas off? And he's like, you can have till 9.30 a.m. And they're like, well, we should really have the whole day off. And he goes, Baha and Baha had the day off. And his nephew comes and is like, do you want to meet me and my wife for dinner? And he goes, Baha and Baha, no, thank you. And essentially, he's just Baha and being a little bit of a Grinch, yeah. uh, to use another famous Christmas villain. Of course. So the night comes to a close. He goes home, grumpy and alone. And right before he goes to bed, he sees the Marleys, which, if you remember from the first line, they were dead to begin with. I need to preface this by saying we are saying Marleys, bringing it back to the Muppets, understanding that in Charles Dickens' original work, it is a singular Marley, but we have to accept that having two Marleys is just a better character choice. It definitely was. (laughs) Um, And it also allowed for a musical number that has still been stuck in my head all day. So it's, it's true. We're Marley and Marley. Marley. And that's before we get copyrighted. Who is Jacob Marley? Who are the Marleys? Which is, talking, what is that? Are we talking about the Muppet? Like, who are the Muppet versions of them? Or the no, really? no. Uh, like, what is the character? What do they represent? In the story, they are his old business partners. But in society, they represent selfish, capitalistic pigs. To so put it lightly. To put, to put it gently. Lightly, gently. Just like Dickens, we don't want to be too blunt with our references. We want it to be like a sprinkle of allegory. So these are bankers who because of how selfish and cruel they were in life they are now chained to money boxes and have no souls and are just tormented forever as these ghosts uh spirit type things and they are here to warn scrooge that if he doesn't change his ways they he will also end up like them and we oh it's what's the line it's a good one you form these chains in life And so they are here to warn Scrooge to change his ways and also tell him, hey, there's going to be three ghosts up in here tonight. You can't hide from them. You actually have no choice. You're going to deal with these. And if you don't change your way, you're going to end up with us, which, although they write a banging song, is not ideal, to say the least. And honestly, I think this really represents true friendship because only a true friend would come to your house in the middle of the night I say you need to get your life together now mm-hmm. and force your, force their friends into situations that makes them confront their demons. And I think that is the definition of friendship. And I don't know if that's what Charles Dickens was going for. Um, but I think this really yeah, is it, this. The, it does, the Marley is definitely like the biggest plot hole for me because there's no rhyme or reason that they would be here. 
Or maybe like we should have, instead of re-watching The Muppets of Christmas Carol, maybe we should have reread the book. Or, for, in my case, read the book. Uh, <laughs> leave a comment if Dickens justifies why Marley comes to warn Shrews. I think it's just like the idea of like, that's what ghosts do, right? They're just yeah. going to warn you. He probably didn't have the choice. The big guy, whoever that might be for you, was like, no, nah, you got to go tell him because like they're going to show up. And if they show up unannounced, it's going to be real awkward. Do you think it's there in like purgatory though? They mm-hmm. had like unfinished business. Like, was there unfinished business to warn Scrooge of the dangers of living a selfish life? That could be it. it could, there's also something interesting about like ghosts just continue the path that they had in life. Mm. Um, thus being like why they can walk through walls and doors is because like it, the floor plan of the house used to be different. Oh. Uh, to get a little ghost lore in there for you. Let's move on to our next ghost. Ooh, yes. The ghost of Christmas past in the Muppets uh, portrayed as some, like, child spirit. <laughs> yeah, I, in the original, like, literary canon of it, I think it's supposed to be, like, a mix of a child and an older person, like, a beautiful spirit. Yeah, it's definitely, like, this beautiful... Even if it's not young, it's youthful, spirit, uh, joyful, childlike wonder. Um, And this ghost comes in at one o'clock on Christmas Day. Uh, This ghost shows up and takes Scrooge through his past, in the past Christmases to be exact. He's like, we don't really care what happened uh, last Thanksgiving. Uh, Mostly because we're British and (laughs) they wouldn't celebrate that. And this is where we get our backstory. Like, why is he such a Scrooge? Like, why is he so rude? Which I would say the Muppets didn't really explain. They kind of just gloss over it. It's like, he's always hated Christmas. But you can kind of infer. I would argue that. I would say that they do an interesting job of showing him, like, when he was a kid, he was worried about getting his work done. Like, they show him in the schoolyard where all the kids are playing. He's like, I gotta just finish my homework. Like, I'm not going home for break. I need to work hard so I can make it to the top. But they, I think that what they don't do well is because that just seems like his personality trait from the beginning, and there's less of a justification of why. Like, where are his parents? What has happened? I recently watched Ghost and Girlfriends Pass, and they do a really good job at showing you the <laughs> background for the Scrooge character. It's because, like, so and, you know, it's the typical, like, so and so died on Christmas, and that's why I hate Christmas. And I think Scrooge didn't really have that until Belle, which comes in, like, pretty late in his past storyline but bell is the love of his life i have an answer i have an answer Ooh, you have an answer yeah so if i remember this correctly like scrooge when he was a kid in the muppet movie they show him like in the schoolyard and they ask why isn't he like going home for the holidays or whatever he was actually at a boarding school and The original text mentions how he often felt, like, neglected by his family and that the only relative who, like, paid attention to him was his sister. Um, But now his sister, like, is is dead, but she was the only good thing about his his childhood. So, yeah, so Mm -hmm. it kind of sets up this, like, isolated path where he felt alone in his family and he felt alone at school. And, like, when you are isolated and uh the muppets have this great line where gonzo yells at rizzo like you've never been a lonely child and rizzo goes no i have thousands of brothers and sisters yeah it's true Uh, but scrooge only had the one which is not in the muppet 
movie, but right. is in the original source text. And so you get the story of just this lonely kid at the holiday season, which is about being surrounded by community. And since Scrooge was never embraced in that community, whether it's family or friends, it's easier to make that a choice. It's the it's typical, like, I can't be rejected if I don't put myself out there. So he kind of isolates himself in his work because that's what he can count on. Yeah. And then he meets this girl. Aww. <laughs> and he falls in love. We but, love love. Spoiler alert, not the love story I was referencing earlier. But he wants to be able to provide for her. And so he keeps putting off and get, getting engaged with her and marrying her and starting a life. Eventually, she comes to the conclusion, she's like, you just got this promotion, and you still don't want to marry me. Like, if money is what you're going to love and chase, that's what you can have. I'm out. And she dips. And then Scrooge then feels validated in his choice to pursue work above all else, because that is what he is left with. So then it's like, he was always kind of a little bit of a sad boy, but that sad boy turns into a jerk boy. It's like the second evolution. (laughs) So we have final evolution Scrooge, and that just gets worse with age. In the Muppet version, we see the girl rejecting him, and he starts to plead with the spirit, which you see Scrooge do a lot, both in the original source material and in the Muppet version. But again, the Muppet version is superior. I can't emphasize that enough. So he starts pleading with the ghost, like, why are you showing me this? I don't want to see this. And our our little friend Ghost One, Ghost of Christmas Press, essentially says, I am the shadows of the past. I am what was. Uh, Also, like, this is the truth. This is the reality of the situation. Uh, And it's kind of the first time Scrooge is faced with, like, you also did this to yourself. Like, you can be mad that she left you, but you gave her no other choice. You continuously put everything else in front of her. Which, when someone shows you their true colors, there's no need to suspect that they're lying. Leave yeah. the relationship. Get out. It's true. I think it says a lot. I didn't know. I don't think Charles Dickens was trying to write like an empowering scene, but I think it's awesome that the girlfriend didn't just stick around and be like, oh, she's going to change. She's going to change. Like that girl knew her worth and she yeah. knew that she can do better than a man who ultimately did not, did not love her enough to sacrifice for her. For sure. And in the book, she gets married. And I think we see a scene scene about her being happy with her kids and whatnot. And it's like, again, something Scrooge could have had, but actively chose not to. Yeah. Um, and I think that's my favorite thing about the Ghost of Christmas Past. If it shows you that even your inactions are, in fact, actions. And you can be haunted by those just as much as you can be haunted by making the wrong choice. Yeah. Yeah, so true. So then uh, the clock strikes two. And we have our second ghostie, Ghost of Christmas Present, uh, also known as Santa. Uh, yes. It's not, like, canonically Santa, but in my heart, it's Santa. It is, like, everything you think Santa is, yeah. is the Ghost of Christmas Present. Yeah. I think in the Muppet movie, he even, like, says ho, ho, ho. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Come in and know me better. Uh, and he's just a sweet little ghost and he's there to teach scrooge the meaning of christmas the community that we were talking about that he didn't have and like why people love christmas or the holiday season and it's the idea of 
giving and building and love and that warmth that you're so like desperately missing uh, when winter starts to come in and gets cold and dark. At least if you're in a place where that's what happens during the holiday season. This is when we meet Tiny Tim. Yes. So we are taken to Bob Cratchit's house. And Bob Cratchit is the clerk for mm-hmm. Mr. Scrooge. So he is Mr. Scrooge's employee. And for some reason, Ghost of Christmas Present is like, you know, we're going to visit your clerk, the, the Cratchit family. And they go, and and remember, we're using Muppets Christmas Carol as our immediate reference. You see, first of all, and most importantly, Kermit the Frog as Bob Cratchit, and Miss Piggy as his wife, Emily, making house together with their frog and pig children. And it's domestic bliss. It's beautiful. And Part of the reason we see that is so, you know, it's a little bit of foreshadowing. Tiny Tiny Tim is so freaking wholesome and cute. And you just know that he's going to be the guilt trip later on. You um, do. He's sick with something, walking with a crutch. And he's just like a little wholesome guy. He comes home from church with his dad. And he, instead of praying for himself or wanting anything for himself, went to church in hopes that it would cheer up everyone else. And this family is just... The, they're so grateful for their Thanksgiving feast, which Scrooge mocks as being small. And it's just the idea of like, this is what the Christmas spirit is. It's love and family and cherishing what you do have and not wanting more, yeah. uh, which is Scrooge's fatal, fatal flaw is he always wants more and he's never content with what he has. Yeah. And it is then when we hear Tiny Tim's most famous line... Yes. Which is, God bless us, everyone. God bless us. I think the magic with Charles Dickens is how on the nose he is and how for such wordy large books, he doesn't leave much out to the imagination. Like <laughs> He is not subtle with what he's going for. And we can analyze it and all the stuff and it'll be really insightful. But really, he's telling you exactly. He's showing you exactly what he wants to show you yeah. and i think that's special <laughs> um and the thing that the, i think why it pairs so well with the muppets is the muppets do not leave a lot to imagination either like yeah. the other bankers in this story are pigs oh my <laughs> gosh you're right <laughs> they don't they are not afraid to hit it on the nose there's a scene where we meet scrooge's first teacher and the teacher goes, you will love business. It's the American way. And then he gets nudged <laughs> by Gonzo. And Gonzo goes, like, whispers, essentially, wrong country in his ears. And he goes, you will love business. It's the British way. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're not pulling their punches. Uh, yeah. But these felt creatures allow you to dive into this world so beautifully that you still feel like you can wonder. And I think that's actually what ghosts do in storytelling is that they add this sense of mythical and magical to like a really harsh reality, which brings us beautifully to ghost number three. Gorgeous segue. Bravo, (laughs) Allison. Thank you. Thank you, darling. (laughs) So ghost number three. 
Christmas Yet to Come. Totally not the Grim Reaper. Not at all. Totally not the guy on the river sands who you give the dime to, to cross over (laughs) to the other side. Definitely nothing like that. But, you know, he's usually portrayed with, like, a hooded figure, a silent type, doesn't speak. Uh, And, like, the symbolism of that being, you can't, the future is unset. You can't Mm. speak. Um, I also think in terms of ghost stories and ghost telling, silence is such a powerful way to activate the flight versus fight, like, Mm. feeling in a person. It puts you on edge and you can't, what's scary to people isn't running or fighting. It's that moment in between the two where you have to make the choice and you don't know if you're going to have to. So the longer you can hold people in that suspension, the scarier the story gets. So Scrooge is held in the suspension of what's going to happen if I stay on this path. And for Scrooge, that's uh, when you die, people are going to celebrate you, uh, but not in the sense of like, celebrate a good life they're going to celebrate selling your clothing and your bedding they're going to celebrate the fact that they don't owe you money anymore and that this poor family has some time to get their finances in order because you're dead and they're gonna leave your grave unattended and unloved just like you were all these years uh again super light definitely not in the nose And it also shows that Tiny Tim is dead. Yeah, and it's not even, like, kind of veiled as Scrooge's fault. It's, like, definitely Scrooge's fault because his family couldn't afford to help him out or get him what he needs. Yeah. Uh, And it's very sad because you just met Tiny Tim and he's just, like, this hopeful little guy and he's dead. And Scrooge also feels for Tiny Tim. Uh, I think one thing that's really interesting, though, is the use of Scrooge dying as the thing that, like, sparks him into action because throughout the story again all the pleading with the spirits is like why show me this if i'm past all hope like there must be some hope and the whole time i'm watching i'm like scrooge like i hate to you're gonna die anyways right (laughs) i think you know this season we talk a lot about memory and your legacy i think it's fascinating the connection of creepy stories and the concept of what your legacy is because i I'm realizing now more and more as we go through this season, how important legacy is and being remembered is to the human spirit Mm. and how that is a great motivator for change, whether it is large spread change exemplified in stories like Richard III, or if it's personal change and how in this story, like how, his legacy is like, you know what? If this is what my legacy is going to be, I'm going to fix it. And I think a lot of people wish they had that ability. I mean, look at all the people like Edgar Allan Poe we talked about in the first episode of this season. Like maybe he would have made different choices if he knew how drastic his legacy was going to be. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. Sure. And the gift that Scrooge is given in this story is that he gets to see what it is and therefore he can shape it. Whereas yeah. we mere mortals have to live with that unknowing and i think that's why the future being silent is so scary yeah because uh, christmas yet to come is maybe the friendliest ghost in my opinion they don't say one mean thing all you know christmas past tells him this is your fault christmas present is basically like look what you're missing out on but christmas yet to come is kind of just like 
silent. Uh, and just pointing him in the direction of what is yet to come or what could come and is giving him some control back, which yeah. what do we want? If not some sense of control, the interesting part is that Scrooge is the man with the most power in the story. He has the most money, the most resources, the most control and yet he is the one that is lost and he is the one yeah. that needs to get some of that back because he's just been blinded by greed and hurt for all these years. Yeah. Uh, so like what a lovely gift to be like, it's like the the best slap in the face to say, get your stuff together. It's Christmas. It's time to fix it. And if you're not going to fix it now, then get comfortable with these chains that you are forging every day of your life so wholesome <laughs> yeah wow so what happens does he wake up does he ever wake up from this nightmare nope he just dies right then and there <laughs> uh, Scrooge wakes up not knowing what time it is goes to the window yells you boy supposedly there's a boy there in the moment <laughs> it's a little rabbit that we saw earlier great moment what day is it why it's Christmas sir Christmas and then it, Scrooge is like you know what it's time to earn my redemption and we have five minutes left of the movie ten pages left of the book probably <laughs> um, <laughs> who knows not me uh, and he goes and he saves Christmas for himself he didn't really need to save Christmas Christmas was going to happen with or without him but he decides to make it happen with him so he gives that donation to the charity that he ignored. He buys a big turkey and brings it to Kermit and Miss Piggy. And he essentially gathers the town and declares that he is going to be better. He's going to do better. To which the quote is, he did it, he did it all and infinitely more. And I think that is maybe the most important line to his narrative is that it didn't stop at Christmas. He keeps the Christmas feeling with him and that feeling of community. You know what, what it reminds me of? Yeah. He hallmark movies the he heck out of the last <laughs> section of the book. Yes. He's going to catch that girl at the plane if it's the last thing he does. He's um, going to he's gonna sing Mariah Carey while ice skating on a river. Like, yeah. that's just what he's going to do. He single-handedly is going to cut out the snowflakes and put them in the shop before the, <laughs> the ski resort gets shut down. Uh, and that's why I say this is a love story. It's because you can see, like, the similar tropes. You see a cranky old man, someone who doesn't like Christmas, learns to love Christmas, fully embraces Christmas all year round from here on out. Definitely the person playing the holiday music way too early, uh, but we let them have it. And yeah. so it's a love story between a man and his community. And it's so fun to like root for Scrooge for the first time in the movie. Cause the rest of the time yeah. it's like, here's a cranky old man. I'm kind of mad at him. He, oh, now I like feel bad for him, but like also he did it for himself and you get to see this villain earn their redemption arc as opposed to like just be handed it. Yeah. A lot of times like, cause no villain deserves a redemption arc. They have to earn it. They have to put in the work. And although we only see five minutes of Scrooge putting in the work, it's implied and canonically accepted that he continues onward. And this 
isn't something that you can just do one day out of the year, but something that needs to be spread throughout the year. And it's it's even said that he really becomes a part of the Cratchit family and mm-hmm. that he, for lack of a better term, adopts them and provides for them and yeah. becomes a father figure to Tiny Tim, who, which is beautiful. In, who doesn't die? Who That line was added during printing. <laughs> was it? It was. So I found out. So spoilers, uh, Tiny Tim, at the end, we find out, because we found out that Tiny Tim probably dies. And then at the end, there's like this one line where it goes, and Tiny Tim, who did not die, that line was added during the printing process of the first book. Because they're like, we need to wrap up this storyline to not make it super tragic where the little boy dies. It would be like very strange to see what Scrooge does if Tiny Tim does in fact die. Because in theory... Tiny Tim would have died before Scrooge. So it's like, if if he died in the new timeline that Scrooge creates by loving Christmas, would Scrooge just revert back to his old ways out of spite? Who knows? Probably not, because he found Christmas. That's true. Wow. What a hot take. Yeah, hot take. Uh, Scrooge made it work and single-handedly saved this kid's life with money, resources, money and resources. And with that, we can say the end to this telling of the story. Because now we get to talk about this story. Because, boy, can we unpack A Christmas Carol. (laughs) So many things. It's so good. Can I just say, before we get into the ghosts... Mm-hmm. lore, which I think is the most important part of this story, especially for our purposes. I was in a production of A Christmas Carol my freshman year of high school. Allison asked me who I played. Who did you play? Wealthy ensemble person <laughs> number something. <laughs> Love it. My dad simultaneously was in a different production of A Christmas Carol with his old drama teacher from high school. And guess who he played? Who did he play? Bob Cratchit. Of course he did. My dad's a superstar. Never forget it. Um, that's Kermit for those of you following along with our Muppet version. That's Kermit. Yeah. Yeah. My dad played Kermit and I played Rat on the Street. Um <laughs> Incredible. No, you would you were a wealthy ensemble, you would have been one wealthy. of the pigs. I would have been a pig. I played a pig and my dad- <laughs> the rat. Don't have the money in the show. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. Obviously, that's ridiculous. The rats, come on. And there is a line in our production that stood out to me because in our script it's repeated a lot. And Scrooge says to the fundraisers asking money for charity, he says, "Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Our taxes pay for such establishments, so let them be used." And that line. When I think of this play, that's the line I think of. When I think of the story, I think of that line because I think it says a lot about the era that it was written, but I think it can be easily translated to how we view the poor, the lower class, whatever you want to call the less fortunate, whatever you want to, words you want to use in today's society. I, I think it's really poignant. And I was reading an interview with Michael Caine. Michael Caine brilliantly plays Scrooge. In- Fantastic. I, 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 we say this genuinely. 
in an interview, he said that he was going to play the movie like he was working for the Royal Shakespeare Company. Like he took it seriously and you can tell it's Mm. a brilliant piece of acting. And he also said that to research the role, he watched a lot of news to learn his character from like Wall Street guys, late 80s, early 90s, when there's a lot of embezzlement scandals going on. So I think one of the things that sticks out to me about A Christmas Carol is that while it is so deeply rooted in this very specific Victorian industrial revolution time where the wealth gap was enormous, especially right now, our wealth gap is is actually humongous. Mm. So I, I think that this story is incredibly relevant now. And I think it says a lot about the role of wealthy people in our society and the role that they either choose to take or choose not to take. And again, I'm going to go a little bit and then we're going to talk about ghosts, but I just have to get it off my chest because when we think of wealthy classes in America and in England, I'm not as versed in England, you know, we think that they're going to be Scrooge in the later half of the movie, right? Where he's giving out money mm-hmm. and he's celebrating Christmas and making it a Hallmark paradise. But in reality, you know, they're the Scrooge in the most of the movie. I think we need to remember that when we think about this story is how relevant it is and what can you do to make the world a better place. And uh, I don't know. Trickle down economics is a lie. Like what? Hot take. What? Am I getting political? No, I'm not going to get political. These stories, you know, we tell stories because they teach us something. And Dickens, for all his worth was not being subtle about what he was trying to teach us. And the Scrooges of the world, at least to my knowledge, <laughs> hit me up, billionaires, if I'm wrong, um, <laughs> don't get visited by ghosts at Christmas. They mm. don't. Again, I'd love to be proven wrong on this. Um, <laughs> could not find it in my research. Uh, they don't have their dead business partners come and say, don't be like me. Um, the bad business partners. Scrooge also had some good ones. But we have to hold them accountable in this life because we don't know what comes in the next one. Death shouldn't be the threat of doing good now. You shouldn't be doing good in order to avoid a worse faith. You should be doing good because it is good. Right. Despite the Muppets version portraying us as Muppets... <laughs> We are all humans and we take care of each other. And that is what Christmas and what these holidays are supposed to be about. And if we are ignoring that for whatever reason, we are doing a disservice to us and like humanity. So ghosts. (laughs) So one of the reasons I asked Allison to do this story was because we were studying abroad in London together back in the old college days. And Allison did this presentation on Christmas folklore that I thought was just brilliant. So one of the things I remembered especially about that is how Christmas and ghosts, to me, is silly. But <laughs> that is because I am ignorant and Allison is about to enlighten us as to why it is, in fact, not silly and why it is, in fact, part of a rich tradition. Ooh. All right. Let's go. So, <laughs> let's go. To clarify, my full project was theater ghost lore, but Dickens came in swinging with a great story and we had to acknowledge. 
in British culture, as the one who did a semester abroad, so clearly I'm well-versed. Right. Obviously, we are the experts. All my British friends are going to be so angry with me. There is at least the idea, and we see it in American culture that we get from the Brits, uh, such as A Christmas Carol, that ghost stories and the spooky natural is reserved for Christmas and the holiday season. And that kind of stems from the winter solstice, which is where a lot of these traditions come from anyways. Um, But Dickens was writing during the Victorian era where people were like kind of deciding what traditions to keep and which ones to bring in. So Christmas trees were a new fad thing and Christmas carols were kind of falling or carols were falling out of fashion. And Dickens was like, not today, my dear. Uh, (laughs) And he started writing ghost stories around Christmas, which is why like the original title or just the subtitle, Being a Ghost Story of Christmas, is another title for A Christmas Carol. And he also would write, like, magazines or short stories that also centered ghosts and, like, the spooky natural of uh, the time throughout the holiday season. And that kind of became this popular tradition. And it didn't quite transfer over to America Because the Puritans were like, that's a pagan thing to do, and we don't do that. I think I saw also in your notes that most of our ghost tradition came from, like, Scotland and Ireland. Yeah. Because they were here first. (laughs) They came to America first. When the Irish came over, um, they had, uh, I don't want to mispronounce it, so I'm just going to say Halloween. They had their version of Halloween, also centered around the solstice, is very much more like the Halloween we know now and that we adopted. Uh, originally, Halloween was like the Scots claimed fame and they tried to make it about Scottish heritage because they didn't want to be tied to this like eerie thing. They wanted like a good rep, but people love ghost stories. Yeah. Winter and fall have such an eerie sense with it getting darker earlier in the day and it's just getting colder and there's less to do that I think we need to have an outlet for that, like, something's going to happen feeling, and ghost stories offer that. And I think that's why Americans latched on to Halloween, and the English kind of stuck with Christmas as their relative ghost story time. Uh, And from what I remember from our wonderful semester abroad is, again, for obvious, maybe obvious reasons, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving. The day (laughs) after Halloween in Britain, it is Christmas central. It is the holiday season. There is no argument about if it's too early to be playing the music. The music is playing. Whereas in America, you get that, like, tension of, Mm -hmm. like, Halloween just ended. Can we have two minutes, please? Can we just mourn the last of Halloween? (laughs) uh, Get through Thanksgiving and then have Christmas, and then you also have people like, no, it's Christmas now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think a Christmas carol is like a stake on the side for Christmas as early as possible. It's just like, listen, you can have your ghosts. You can have them. You can have your spooky now. Just also maybe think about your fellow man. Do you think that A Nightmare Before Christmas is part of that a christmas carol tradition oh that's interesting yeah i think for sure it plays into like the idea of what we give to others and also spooky ghost stories (laughs) what a christmas carol does 
and what ghost stories at Christmas do is it reminds you that despite the scary, there's still love. Because mm. um, when I think of the ghost stories we tell around Christmas, I think of not even ghost stories, but just stories of the people in your life who have passed over the year and people you miss and the legends of the old. And all those are ghost stories once the person's gone because mm. they're ghosts in theory, uh, as opposed to Halloween, where you get some of the more violent and tragic ghost stories. Uh, Bloody Mary comes to mind. Ones yeah. that are more, as opposed to giving you the comfort and memory that Christmas stories give you, they give you more of the fear and the joy that can come with being like a little bit scared. A Nightmare Before Christmas <laughs> is the balancing act between those two and like kind of the handling of how they play with each other. What started the tradition for English ghost stories? It's one of the traditions that kind of start, like how all stories tradition starts. It's people got stuck in a room together and started telling stories of legends and whatnot. But the thing that like kind of cemented it in the pop culture was a Christmas carol. Dickens was writing during a time where the English were trying to figure out their traditions. So when he started writing these stories it got paired with this Christmas card idyllic holiday season with the Christmas tree and the fireplace and the perfect fluffy snow that doesn't actually exist. And so it's kind of all his fault that it stayed in popular culture for Christmas, which is maybe leads me to my favorite Dickens quote, if I can find it. I think this is just the funniest thing given what he writes about. He had a Christmas publication, essentially like a short magazine or short story cycle that he would send out. And when he discontinued it in 1868, he uh, was complaining to his friend and he said that he felt as if I had murdered a Christmas number years ago. Perhaps I did. And its ghost perpetually haunted me. <laughs> uh, and I just think the idea that Dickens is now haunted by the ghost of Christmas is incredible. Like, only Dickens could write that. Have you seen... There's a movie with starring Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey where he plays Charles Dickens. Uh, no, but I'm gonna watch it. What's it called? <laughs> I'm gonna link it in the show notes because it's actually a really good movie. It didn't get good reviews, but I enjoyed it. That sounds great. It is called The Man Who Invented Christmas. In That's an accurate description. Dickens, like, really just staked his claim and he convinced other writers to write ghost stories at Christmas. Uh, and I really respect that. And I think I found his ghost origin story. I was just reading about it right before this. So again, in no way a Dixon's expert, but falling down the rabbit hole slowly but surely. Um, <laughs> one of his first na nannies, her name was Mercy, uh, just told him a lot of ghost stories as a child. And he writes about being scarred from it. And the reason I mentioned her name is because he has another great line where he goes, her name was Mercy, but she gave me none. <laughs> <laughs> so she was just telling him a lot of ghost stories. And I think that Dickens was just a nerd and he just really liked it. And he was just like, this is how I'm celebrating Christmas from now on. And everyone else should too. And then they did. <laughs> <laughs> like it worked. Does it fascinate you too that like all of our quote unquote traditions in like Western culture stem from the Victorian age, Christmas trees, 
Why are there Christmas trees? Well, Prince Albert was German and Germans had Christmas trees and then he brought them to England and then the English had Christmas trees and then America just always wants to be England. Then America got Christmas trees. Yeah, but we don't tell ghost stories at Christmas. Except We we don't. That's like the only (laughs) thing we don't do except for this particular story. But there's also that song that references it that plays it. Yeah. There'll be scary stories and tales of glory. It exists. It's in the psyche. It's in the world. I would hope that it's clear why the story makes us feel on the edge. Mm-hmm. But I think it's worth reiterating. This this story is about a man who needs to learn how to share. For me, it's striking how little things have changed when it comes to trends and patterns in human behavior, frankly. Mm-hmm. And I think Scrooge also, with his uh, love interest story, when she leaves him, it should have you asking yourself the question, what is this for? Yeah. If you want to gain a lot of wealth, if you want to work hard and become the richest person in the world, what is the point of that? Is it so that you can give back? Then don't lose sight of that. And that is what is the tragedy of Scrooge, is he lost sight of what he was looking for, which all along was community. He was the only little boy who lost the love of his life because he thought that money would be community, when in reality, the only thing that fills that void is actively partaking in your community and actively seeking ways to make it better and improve it and share it. And in the meantime, he was messing up his community for hoarding the wealth and controlling the buying power of the community. So this is your personal ghost moment. Reminder to ask yourself, don't be forging any chains right now. Ask yourself, what is it for? What is the point of what you are trying to achieve? Oh my goodness gracious. You know, it's so hard to talk about. Sometimes these stories get too real and it's hard to articulate. Yeah. Do you want uh, my less political version of why does the story make me feel on edge? Yeah, you can add that. Go um, for it. Maybe my favorite ghost, but still the one. The ghost of yet to come is terrifying. It's yes. always terrifying. No matter how many times I see it, it's terrifying. No matter how it's done, it's terrifying. Uh, and that is because it is your face. Like it is Scrooge's, but it's also like the audience's moment to like face mortality. And anytime you have to face mortality, I won't sleep now. <laughs> it is terrifying. Yes, agreed. Before we go, I just want to do a quick ode to the Muppets Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. We decided that this was going to be the basis for this episode because it is the superior version, as we mentioned before. I think that the story of A Christmas Carol is really long and it's really complex, but the Muppets version does a really great job of condensing the material, making it palatable, and And it's a musical. And it's a musical, and you're still you're coming away with the the same exact objectives as the original source material. And I think our only really special adaptations can do that. And mm-hmm. I, I genuinely can't sit through any other adaptation of A Christmas Carol. I can't do it. They're I too boring. I was fully ready to be watching this movie while doing something else, but it was just so much fun to watch 
that I just fully sat and watched it. And I can't remember the last time a movie made me do that. I did not check my phone once. It's such a good movie. That's how you know. No, it's a good movie. <laughs> so if anyone wants to learn more about A Christmas Carol, do you have any um, suggestions on how people can learn more? Yes. The first one is going to be surprising. Hmm. Watch the Muppet version. Right. Yeah. First Absolutely. Second shock. Um, a lot of local theaters do the story because it's public domain. Yes, it is. Essentially, any local theater, to my knowledge, has done the story, is going to do the story. Right now, um, American Shakespeare Theater is putting up theirs online. With COVID, theaters are struggling. Uh, so if you can find a theater that you want to support, see if they're doing a Christmas uh, carol. See how they're adapting it, because it's always fun to explore the different ways in which people can view and digest the story. Also, and this is like what my plan is, I'm going to read the book for the first time. Um, so I recommend reading the source material. And of course, in our show notes, we're going to be linking things to learn more about ghost lore in England, ghost lore during Christmas time some intellectual think pieces on Muppets A Christmas Carol and why it is one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. Facts. And Allison, if you want to plug anything of yourselves, feel free to do that. Are you working on any projects Ooh, at I the moment? just co-created and produced a web series called Hive. Surprisingly also kind of fits the themes of this show of someone who's disengaged with their community, kind of being slapped in the face with reality and having to help out the community in which they're a part of for the greater good while also fighting ideals like capitalism and we're controlling powers also the main character's name is dragon slayer 420 so it's really fun and light for the most part and i created that with aya newman who your viewers might know from another episode yep yeah, aya newman was on season one talking about baseball yeah, so you can find us on Instagram at, at Hive Web Series. And we will link that in our show notes as yeah. well. Oh, you're also in it. And Emily. Oh, yeah, we are in it. Emily and I are in it. <laughs> in the first episode. We are. So we're in the first episode. alone. That's so funny. Yeah, you're right. All right, Allison. You know, I love chatting with you. I love chatting with you, too. You're a hoot and a holler. Thank you. You're Thanks welcome. For having me. Thanks for coming on. I'll uh, talk to you next time. All right. See you then. Bye. Bye. Once Upon a Time, a storytelling podcast was produced by Talia Smith and Emily Joba. You can buy us a coffee to support this podcast at buymeacoffee.com slash onceuponatimepc. Our guest today was Allison O'Brien, and our story was Muppets A Christmas Carol. Our featured artist this week was Mary Ferguson. You can check out our work on our Instagram and in our show notes. Music is Photos of Murder by John Bartman. Our Instagram is a storytelling podcast. And our email is a storytelling podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook too. You can listen in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Links to all of our resources are in the show notes and on our website. The end. <laughs>